0: As some of you may have been able to discern, I am not Reverend Winnie this morning. I'm Reverend John Vaughn. I'm the executive pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church. I bring you greetings. On behalf of our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Raphael G. Warnock and the members and friends of Ebenezer. I want to thank you for the many years that Ebenezer and St. Luke's have journeyed together through various iterations of this partnership. I want to thank my friend, Reverend Winnie, for the invitation to be here. I want to thank Reverend Matt, my uh, compadre. Uh, I, guess, I guess I ought to start calling myself vicar of... Uh, of Ebenezer. So Matt, thank you. Uh, We had a wonderful conversation just before in the forum and um, looking forward to continued work together to our clergy colleagues, to the wonderful music ministry here. Let us take a moment to join our hearts in prayer. Not my words, but your words this morning, O God. May we be present and open to your spirit. There is already here before we even open the doors. We give ourselves to you in the name of your love incarnate, Jesus the Christ. Amen. So Pastor Warnock and I were chatting last night, and we're thinking, what else can one say? on Martin Luther King Jr. Sunday that has not already been said about his life, his legacy, his ministry. His commitment to peace and justice across race and class changed not only this country, it changed the world. But I've always been particularly taken by one of Dr. King's speeches in the latter day of his ministry. It was a speech that challenged himself and others to address the broader injustices of our society by highlighting the interconnectedness between racism, poverty, and militarism. He gave this speech at the Riverside Church in New York City in 1967, actually exactly one year before his assassination. And in this speech, he publicly articulated this interconnection between, he would call, the triplets. But it was a courageous step that cost him friends and allies. The Washington Post said, sheer inventions of unsupported fantasy, and lamented how many who have listened to him with respect will never again accord him with the same confidence. The New York Times called the speech both facile and slander. It said the moral issues of Vietnam are less clear-cut than he suggests, and warned that to divert the energies of the civil rights movement to the Vietnam issues was both wasteful and self-defeating. Yet Dr. King was fueled and grounded by God's challenge to love everyone and was pushed to a courageous place where he could no longer keep silent. The words of the prophet Jeremiah that we heard that were spoken earlier today were spoken in a context of occupation and local infighting, challenging at best. You have leaders, both the occupiers as well as one's own leaders, saying, peace, peace, while truting the wounds of our people carelessly acting shamefully and not even blushing. During Reverend Dr. King's time, he contended with folks that were invested in the status quo, black and white, who were content with being silent for whatever reason. And for those who had an inkling of wanting to do something but were fearful of the power of the context they preach, just, just wait a little bit. Wait wait till the time is right. Let's just wait. Just wait a little bit longer. Over the last three years of the Ebenezer St. Luke's book studies through Caste, The Some of Us, and The End of White Christian America, we have read about how deep racism is sown in the soil of the United States of America. These books were buttressed by exhaustive research, endless stories, and firsthand testimonies from Ebenezer and St. Luke's members who remembered when. In our joint work together, we are doing what we can to act together to dismantle racism. We're engaged in relationship building, in joint fellowship, such wonderful things like the hymn sing, Matt. (laughs) We are engaged in exploring strategies to address economic equity. We're working on such issues as gun violence, ending mass incarceration, and addressing voter suppression. Our congregations have some skin in the game. But last year when we were reading the end of white Christian America, I had this uneasy feeling. I was feeling unsettled. I was trying to figure out what, what, what was this unsettling that was happening in my spirit. And so finally, before one of our sessions, I decided to write it down and share it with the group. And I'll share that letter with you now. Dear white Christian friends, you should know that two of the most impactful, personally racist incidents that happened in my life were perpetrated by white people who were the good guys a respected teacher and coach, and one of my friends. Imagine that other black people and people of color who are Christians in the book study probably have similar experiences. The people that often hurt you the most are the people closest to us. Therefore, you should know that there is always a wariness among black Christians and even an assumption that the most well-meaning white Christians will hurt us. Many black people and people of color like me are at this table because in our theory of change, relationships matter. Black Christians like me believe that we need each other, grounded in and led by our faith to have an impact on the social transformation of government, along with the greater private and public systems that have been built to exclude large segments of our people. Many black people and people of color who are Christians like me are here because we need white Christians to take the lead to close the racial gap in this country. There is something deeper at work in our country when even audio and video recordings of unarmed black people being killed, even from body cams of police officers, is too often not enough to convict those mostly white law enforcement officials and white citizens who experience fear. We need you to change hearts and minds of your fellow white Christians, to have the eyes to see the systemic behavior instead of believing that these narratives are just another isolated incident since 1619. We need you to stop the efforts to suppress votes and to gerrymander us into apartheid 2.0. We need you to stop these initiatives that are committed to whitewashing, minimizing, and erasing the tough realities of racism in our country. Empowered by your deepening relationships with black and other Christians, we need you to engage your fellow white Christians. We need you to lead with your faith and put your bodies on the line and the ways that our ancestors, young and more seasoned, did for us to be even in this room and in this pulpit. What my eyes and my experience tell me is that some of your fellow white Christians aren't really listening to me or my fellow black people. I'm not even sure they care what I think. In response to millions of people engaged in the peaceful Black Lives Matter movement, a former US president chose to focus on a handful of violent acts and then labeled the whole movement as a symbol of hate while calling the white January 6th insurrectionists freedom fighters. I think it's time for you to engage your fellow white Christians without us. Please know that we've got your back. But you need to develop strategies that are probably a mix of deeper relationship building among white Christians who are believing, believing, and invested in the racial gap in this country. It means diving deep into the deep end of discomfort and disruption that will be hard on your lives and on your churches and those close to you. It means some of you will be called to put your very lives on the line for believing in God's unconditional love for all. But please know that you are not alone. We are with you. We have your back. As as a black Christian, we can testify that God makes a way out of no way. Before Jesus ascends into heaven after the resurrection, he tells his disciples that they will do greater things and that they are commissioned to go out and spread the good news of God's unconditional love. Christ does not ask his followers to stay in the upper room after his resurrection and be paralyzed by fear, but he sends the Holy Spirit and pushes out into the world. We black Christians can testify that there will be a time when it will be viscerally clear to you, our dear white Christians, that engaging in this work is no longer a choice. It is a matter of life and death. The prophet Jeremiah follows his words of condemnation and distress with these. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Brothers and sisters, this is not a time for us to step back, but to step forward. We need to glean from our successes in the past, and we learn have to learn from the mistakes that we have made. We need to allow the knowledge and experience to help us shape a way forward. I oftentimes think, that we actually do know what needs to happen or we do know what the steps are as people and communities and what we need to do. What we need is to summon the courage to act. As we celebrate the life and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I want us to remember the Dr. King who was courageous enough To put his relationships at risk for love. To talk about the interrelatedness between racism, poverty, and militarism because he took the unconditional love of God seriously. Our charge this King holiday is to call forth that same courage within each of us and within our faith communities. With God at our side, to step forward into the places of discomfort that God's love is calling us to. My wife, Kim, oftentimes like to tell our boys, who are now 18 and 22, when they get frustrated at how difficult something might be, she says, we can do hard things. So our charge is, we can do hard things with a God who makes a way out of no way and transforms lives. Let us be courageous. And remember that social transformation starts with us. Amen.